Good morning. It's my honor and joy to be here with you this morning um, to preach the word of the Lord, to speak of, to speak and pick from the ripened fruit of the Bible that is our sustenance, is our joy. Um, it gives us not only a standard and a measure for living, but it gives us um, peace and security and understanding of the heart and mind of God so that we can follow him better. Um, and so we at our church, we take a very real stance that the Bible is not just something that should be looked at as a as a neat historical document or something that um, God gave to be loosely followed, but the Bible is something that uh, we honor because it is the words of God. And if God spoke it into the hearts of man, into the Bible, as we read it today, as we follow it, as we learn from it, then we are actually having God as our teacher. We are learning directly from Him. And so we accept that the Bible is the Word of God for many reasons that we've talked about on multiple occasions and we will continue to talk about. And we accept that if we study His Word diligently, if we follow His Word, if we live our life for Him, He will honor that. He will bless us. We have been, for the last few weeks, we have been discussing the kingdom family. It's our super silly sensational summer sermon series, spectacular. Um, I just, if you can think of more S, that's not really true if you don't know. Uh, if you can think of more S's to add to that so that we can be goofy when we talk about that, we will. Um, that is not what it's called. But the Kingdom Family is our summer sermon series. Um, we've now spent three weeks in the sermon series and over the last three weeks we've brought, we brought to you some important uh, and thought provoking topics like are we leaving a legacy that matters something that will extend beyond just our few years on this earth a spiritual legacy um, are we leading our families in worship that's daily worship family worship but not only worship as an action but worship as a as a lifestyle worship as a part of who we are are ingrained in us and we saw last week from morgan are we following God at every stage of our life? Are we seeing, if we're a single person in this room, are we seeing how God can use that opportunity, can redeem that opportunity for himself, that single life, as opposed to um, always thinking about where God has you next or always being concerned with what you don't have in God, that you're not married, that you don't have children, things of that nature. Using the time that God has given you to, to progress the gospel and, and to move forward in your own life. Um, so don't miss out, you know, Morgan, what I gathered from that last week, one of the main things was don't really miss out on the stage that you're in. I will have to say that I have to disagree with Morgan on one point though, okay? Um, this has nothing, this is not necessarily overtly spiritual, but I would say that if you have a propensity to set people up, that you should absolutely do that. He told you don't do that. I would say do that. As a matter of fact, I would say that the vast percentage of every person ever married in the history of the world was set up by somebody else. Okay? The vast majority. 
Uh, but I think you should follow two rules, and I'm going to sound kind of vain when I say this, but I don't care. The first is not vain. It's the person should be comparable spiritually. That's one of your rules. And, and as a second part of that rule, they should be comparable in looks. Okay? And I really mean this. If you're going to set someone up, they need to look as attractive as the person you're trying to set them up with. I know that that sounds vain. I don't care. Everybody acts like, oh, personality is what you're drawn to. No, the first thing you see is the person. You're attracted to them, and then you seek after them. I'm just so real that I say it. You might not say it. I'm just so real that I say it, okay? So they need to be comparable in spirituality first, obviously, and looks. And that just because someone is single doesn't mean that they fulfill the last qualification. Um, Having myself been a former single person... I would have definitely wanted you to give a shout-out to me if you knew of a comparable single person. Um, so as Morgan put it, if you knew of a potential little boo, thing, little boo thing who wanted to be the big spoon, I would have wanted to know about it. Uh, by the grace of God, though, I have my little boo thing who is often the big spoon and honestly some of the best moments in the world. Um, that being said, um, I want to go on. I want to dive deeper. Every week, I want to dive deeper into the purpose of the family. Why the family is so important. Why structure and order that God ordained is so important. And so we'll do that today. Today, we're going to approach a subject that you, that you only give to guests and other church leaderships to preach if you don't like them or if you think they're experts in the field. These topics are typically reserved for the lead pastor. Today we're going to talk about the kingdom family and honoring God by fulfilling our prescribed roles in the family. Specifically, we're going to talk about what it means to be a kingdom husband and a kingdom wife. I would say this message today is pertinent for everyone in this room because in this room you are either married or likely at some point you desire to be married. But also, I believe that marriage is under attack. It has been since creation, but this attack is all the more prevalent in our time. For the more conservative person in here, you might say, well, this attack uh, comes from homosexuality, and that's probably right in the marriage. Others would say that uh, it's divorce and adultery, and, and you might be right. But this attack can include pornography, fornication, lack of passion, or a stale and distracted sex life, or a range of other things. But I would tell you, friends, there is an attack on the same scale as the aforementioned and yet often unseen. This attack comes in the form of the abandonment or reversal of the created order of roles that the husband and wife take in marriage where men abandon the role of spiritual authority in their house and women take their place. It happens with weak-willed men and contentious women. It happens with the feminizing or the neutering of men and the domineering nature of some women. This topic was one that I promoted for our summer series because uh, I think it is or can be responsible for the destruction of of homes in this country, in our church, mine and yours included. Our problem is not a new one though, friends. It traces back its roots to the fall of mankind. As a result of the sin of Adam, sin entered the world and caused a great divide between God and man. But it also caused an underlying enmity between man and woman. 
Whereas the man in the perfect order was to rule over his wife with love and compassion, he often to seek uh, rule over her with um, abuse, or he abdicates his rule. Whereas woman was to follow the leadership of the husband, she often chooses resentment or refusal of this authority in her life. Therefore, a man's inability to lead well and a woman's inability to follow the authority and submit to her husband are both results of the fall. It is the curse of sin, friends, but it doesn't have to be our curse. It is the curse of sin, but it doesn't have to be our curse. They are not the curse. It's not our curse because, friends, Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ reversed the role of the fall. And for those who are in Christ, the goal of sanctification and the goal of learning of Him and the goal of being more like Christ is to reverse the role of the fall in our own lives, reverse the role of the fall in our families, and by the grace of God, reverse the role of the fall in our friends and family members by being more like Christ. Through the gospel, we can return things in part through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the work of Jesus Christ, through the adoption of the Father, we can return things in part to the way God intended it to be. I want to take a little time and try to describe to you today what the Bible teaches as the roles of men and women in the house. A helpful way to give you two, a uh, helpful way to understand this stuff is to give you two terms that you can hold on to that might give you an explanation of kind of what we're talking about today or, or how these lines are typically drawn. Then I'm going to take one of these terms and I'm going to use them, use it to describe what I think a biblical household should look like. There are two, two schools of thoughts as it relates to how Christian review Christians view positions of husbands and wives in the house. There is the complementarian role, or the complementary role. C-O-M-P-L-E-M-E-N-T-A-R-Y. And the egalitarian role. The complementarian role is defined in this way. Male and female were created by God as equal in dignity, value, essence, and human nature. Equal in dignity, value, essence, and human nature, but also distinct in role, whereby the male was given the responsibility of loving authority over the female. The female was to offer willing, glad-hearted, and submissive assistance to the man. Basically, in spiritual makeup and, uh, and how worthy men are supposed to act, worthy men are supposed to lead their families well, as unto the Lord, the way the Lord prescribes, and worthy women are to follow their husband's leadership. Egalitarian, it's this view. God created male and female equal in all respects, and there is no distinction between the two, and they are both given the responsibility to rule over creation. And any subsequent inequality in the egalitarian view comes as a result of the fall and not as a result of the created order. Now you, be th- you may be thinking, what's the difference? And Bryce, what view do you take? Don't worry, I always give unsolicited opinions. I think the most biblical and God-honoring view is the complementarian view. That God created man and woman equal in spirituality and essence, but different in so many other ways. Including physicality, 
some emotional and mental responses, but also the roles inside the family and the roles inside the church. I have my reasons, which I'll give a few of them to you. We can't exclusively uh, fulfill all of these, but I have my reasons, and I'll give a few of them to you. There's plenty of passages in the Bible that speak to the complementarian role or the role that I'm describing to you. Um, But the first area that I really gather support for this is from creation itself. From the creation story, man was created first. Paul observed in 1 Corinthians 11.8 and 1 Timothy 2.13 that these were, this was a way of God establishing the authority over, of man over the world. Remember, man was created, and then what happened in between? Was woman created exactly after that? No. Man was created. Man named all of the animals. He named all of the plants. And then there was not a suitable partner after all of that. There wasn't an animal. There wasn't a dog that could fulfill the role. There wasn't a cat that could fulfill the role or a gerbil or a goldfish or anything like that. Adam named all of those things. Probably not gerbil or goldfish or anything like that. It was probably some other cooler name. But he named those things. And then he looked out on there and he said there's not a suitable partner in all of creation. And then God created a partner for him. Adam was the firstborn of creation. Eve was born after Adam. The early readers of this would have understood that that was a symbol of headship and authority. The firstborn, the firstborn male always took authority. It wasn't just because of the patriarchy. It was because of the God-ordained design. God, another reason from creation that I believe God gives this authority to man and he's affirming it throughout life is that God gave instructions prohibiting eat from eating the tree of life. Did he give it to both of them? He did not. God gave instructions from, for, for prohibiting the eating from the fruit from the tree of life to Adam, before Eve was even created. It is my conjecture that Eve received the news from Adam. And therefore, there, it was, God again was establishing a headship. The head of every man is God, and the head of every woman and household and family is the husband. And this headship of authority, this line of authority, means that women can grow and be nurtured in their own self because they are in Christ, but also the best and most effective way for a household to be nurtured is from God to the man to the family. God gave instructions on prohibiting eating from the fruit of the tree of life before creation, and Adam relayed that message down. The Bible says that Eve was created as Adam's Helpmate. Another thing, and this may seem sort of tertiary or not important to you, but Adam named Eve twice. Twice. He said, this is woman first, and then he said, this is Eve. He named Eve. Another thing, even though Adam, and this is very important from creation, even though Adam we know sinned, and Eve was the first to sin. Who does God hold responsible for sin? God, God holds Adam responsible for sin. He did not hold Eve responsible for sin. Why? Because God gave the instructions on how not to sin to Adam. And Adam did not lead his house. Adam did not lead his house. 
It was the most important command that they were given. You think Adam would have focused on that a little bit more. God sought out the responsible party. Therefore, we know this to be true. Sin entered the world through Adam. Adam is our federal head. We are born into sin. We are born into depravity. And we are so because Adam sinned as the authority in the family. The New Testament also, another reason that I hold to this view is the New Testament confirms it. The New Testament confirms the creation story, the created order, and why all of that's important, but also it confirms the text throughout um, the Old Testament and then re- reaffirms that in the New Testament. Colossians 3.18 is an example. Titus 2.15 is another example. 1 Peter 3 is an example of many. And then Paul uses the creative narrative to explain hierarchical structure in the church even in 1 Corinthians. If you have more questions about this and don't think that I'm just being, uh, that I'm just, uh, you know, pushing forward the patriarchy. If you have more questions about this, I would challenge you to read uh, Wayne Grudem's uh, book on Christian ethics. Uh, Listen to this sermon. The sermon uh, is called Gender Roles in the Family by Mark. You can listen to this sermon too. But it's Gender Roles in the Family by Mark Dever. Or you can Google the Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood to get more information and resources. There's also a good book that it's, a, it's free online. You can Google it. It's a PDF by John Piper and Rain, Wayne Grudem. It's called Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. I could go on for days about the sociological, psychological, physiological effects and differences between man and woman. But I don't know that that would profit us right now. So you can do your own research on that. Or we can talk privately about that. The main idea that I would like to get across to you today is simply this. The family is the single most important institution in the history of the world. And Christians can erase the curse of the fall when we fulfill our God-ordained calling. Our God-ordained calling of the created order. We must decide two things when attempting this, though. Many of you won't even start. Many of you are shutting me off, or some of you maybe are shutting me off right now. We must Understand this before we go on. Decide these two things. Do we actually believe the Bible? Do we actually believe the Bible even when the sacrifice is our sacrifice? Or especially when the sacrifice is our sacrifice? There are plenty of people in here and plenty of people in our country who believe the Bible until sacrifice actually becomes their sacrifice. Until they actually have to give up something in order to to believe the Bible. So you have to ask yourself, do I believe the Bible even when it calls me to sacrifice? Many people say they believe it until it calls them to give up something. The second question you must ask yourself is this, is my family important enough that I will make the sacrifice necessary and put the necessary trust in my spouse and the Lord in order to fulfill my God-honoring role? Is my family important enough to me that I will make the necessary sacrifice and put the necessary trust in my spouse and the Lord in order to fulfill my God-honoring role. A healthy family is vastly important. There's no other relationship that gives the type of stability that children need than a healthy family. For Christians, it is a healthy, God-honoring, not perfect marriage. It is not just couples or cohabitation, but marriage. 
Studies have shown that by the age of 12, cohabitating families are two times more likely to experience breakup than married families. We have an epidemic of single motherhood. And you can be a great single parent, don't get me wrong, but statistics don't lie. And they prove that two is almost exclusively better than one. Single mothers are five times more likely to be poor on average than a married mother. Single dads and cohabitating parents are in a similar economic struggle. Some studies even show that children of divorce are likely to die five years sooner than their peers who were raised in an unbroken household. Children from broken homes are more likely to experience abuse, violence, drugs, drop out of high school, be obese, and go to prison. There's plenty of more statistics on that. It's clear the world is not perfect, but that God's way for marriage is the right way. And this is not just a healthy marriage for anyone. This is a healthy heterosexual relationship. Studies have proven that children respond better on average with a positive male and female role model in the house. And we'll talk about the importance of a father in the house in a minute when we talk about husbands. High-functioning heterosexual marriage is important. You may look at your marriage and you say, you're just fine. But I can assume that since we are all fallen human beings, that we all need to hear this message today. That our marriage should be more than just fine. Our marriage should thrive. Our marriages should be a beacon and a light for others to see. Too many Christians... Too many Christians spend too much time in marriage on maintenance mode as opposed to thriving mode. Just getting by. Just making it. Just tolerating each other. We have more Christian relationships in the church that are glorified roommates than husbands and wives seeking after and loving each other as Christ loves the church and the church loves Christ. Today I want to prescribe to you some ways that we can fulfill our roles in marriage and thus, I believe, really bringing fruitfulness back to our marriage. I want to talk to husbands first. Before we do that, I want to pray. I haven't prayed. I haven't prayed this morning. Um, I have prayed this morning. I haven't prayed in here this morning. I want to pray and ask God to open our hearts to these things. God, we love you. Lord, would you open our hearts to your word? Would you help us to receive it, accept it, and follow it? Lord, it's not just enough to say that we believe you. We believe in you. We must believe you and trust you enough to follow you. Would you help us to do that today? Would you help us to sacrifice? Put away our goals, our, our, our uh, life, um, whatever the word, I guess goals is fine. Put away those things and to trust and pursue you. We love you so much and we praise you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. The first group of people I want to talk to are husbands. Men, your role is immensely important in the Christian faith for your wife, and for the family. Promise Keepers in the Baptist Press did a survey a few years back, and it reveals, shockingly, that 1 in 50 children will attend regular worship service as an adult if just their mom attends when they were a child. 1 in 50 if just their mom attends when they were a child. The number skyrockets, though. Between 65 to 75% of children will attend church regularly as adults if just their father attends. Between half and two-thirds will attend if only their father attends irregularly. Half and two-thirds. 
If a child becomes a Christian first in the home, three point, there's a 3.5% chance that the family will be, will be saved, the rest of the family. If a mother is saved, there's a 17% chance that the rest of the family will be saved. But friends, if a father is saved and a father lives as a believer in the home, there is a 93% chance that the rest of the family will become Christians. Children from fatherless homes are four times more likely to experience poverty, seven times more likely to get pregnant as a teen, more likely to have behavioral problems, and I mentioned several other things before. Studies even show that these things can show themselves in homes where fathers aren't fulfilling the role of a biblical father, where there's turmoil in the house. A godly father, but most importantly a godly husband, is imperative to raising a healthy house. I think it's more important that we understand what God ordained than what our feelings and what the culture tells us that we should look like. We should understand what God has ordained for a husband and what it looks like in the home. Now I want to lay out a broad overview as we cannot cover every single thing that a godly husband or a godly wife should look like in the time we allotted. As I was writing this sermon, I thought this should be two. And so you're getting 1.5 in one day. So um, at Morgan said how long his outline was and then he told 20 minutes worth of jokes. I'm just going to say how long my outline is and I'm just going to get straight into the, to the sermon. Uh, he washes her, the husband washes her with the water of the word and he promotes her spiritual well-being. I jumped right in. I told you that's the first. He washes her with the water of the word and he promotes her spiritual well-being. Ephesians 5.26 that he might it says husbands love your wife just as Christ loved the church. Ephesians 5.25 that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word. The Berean Study Bible says this, it translates 1 Peter 3, 7 this way, which I thought was worded a little bit more beautifully, so I used it. Husbands, in the same way, treat your wives with consideration as a delicate vessel, and with honor as fellow heirs of the gracious gift of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Men, I know that it is challenging it is challenging for you to lead your wife in this way. I know that many of you feel inadequate or that you, um, you, you probably say, I, I need to learn for myself before I start leading someone else. Many in here have a wife that may have a more domineering personality and yours is to choose to lay back. I understand it's difficult. But men, if we want to live peaceably together, we must stop demanding respect and earn it. We must live in a way that our wives and even others choose to follow us because they know that's the leader. That's the leader. We earn the respect of our wife not by telling her she should respect us. Not by showing her that we are macho and machismo. Some people call it toxic masculinity. Masculinity is not toxic, but there is a masculinity that is toxic. We don't get our wife to follow us by puffing out our chest and walking around like a peacock. We get our wife, our wife to follow us by washing her in the water of the Word. If you think your wife is too into money or the latest trends or to social media, you don't need to denigrate her or to shame her to get her to stop those things. You need to lead her by cleansing her of the lordship of anything but Christ. You can do this by washing her in the water of the word, gently, tenderly, delicately, and in a non-condescending way. Our wives... 
Whether you want to believe it, ladies, or not, you are different. The Bible calls you a delicate vessel. Our wives are different, husbands. You need to hear that. Because it saves a lot of problems in marriage to understand that your wife doesn't think, act, or respond just like you. Men, she doesn't need coach speech. She doesn't need you to rah-rah her when things are bad. Come on, you can do it. We've got the power. We've got the energy. Let's go. She doesn't need a dictator that she has to bow down to. She doesn't need a political rant about the problems in marriage. And she doesn't need a lesson on a professor of what, it, of what it looks like to be a good wife. She needs a gentle husband who's willing to wash her in the water, but he's also willing to wash his own life in the water so that it doesn't seem hypocritical when he's trying to do the same to her. He humbly washes himself in the water of the Word so that when he pours the beauty of the gospel of Jesus over his wife, she says, you know what? He's been there too. He is there right now, and I can trust him in this. Do you want to see change in your family? Do you want to see change in your family? Do you want to be a husband like the Bible prescribed? Men, change your affections first. Love the Word of God. Don't live without the Word of God. Be led by the Word of God and then lead with the Word of God and your Bible, your wife will follow you. He washes her in the water. He is concerned about her spiritual health. He loves her as his own body. Ephesians 5.28 says, In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He is to love his wife as he loves himself. Men, you should love your wife like you love yourself. In the same way you speak to be spiritually and emotionally fulfilled, you should seek those things for your wife. You should consider her delights, what she loves. If I asked most men in here right now what her wife's favorite music was, her favorite book, her greatest fears, or her biggest dreams, you may could spit that out quickly, but chances are it would take you a lot longer if I asked you men, what is your favorite book, what is your favorite music, what is your favorite TV show, what are your dreams and what are your aspirations? We are to love our wives like we love ourselves so that we seek her out in a way that we know her like we know ourselves. Men should love their wives like we love ourselves emotionally, but we should also love our wives like we love ourselves physically. When we clean our own bodies, when we feed our bellies, when we exercise our play, we do these things because we are showing love to ourselves. We are being kind to our body. Husbands, you should find what delights your wife in a physical way and do that often. For some of you, it may be more sensual pleasures, but it's not always that. Husband, I know that men, that's the first thought, like that delights your life. So like that obviously delights your wife's life. Well, sensual pleasures is not the love language of every woman in here. I want you to know that on the same level that it might be yours. But there are other things that your wife needs and, and, and feels on a deep and emotional level. Maybe it's playful touch. Maybe it's cuddling with that little boo thing. Um, maybe it's having safety in home or it's flowers or a reasonable, regular gifts that maybe... Uh, family time or walks in the park. It may be sitting on the tailgate of a truck or out on the front porch. But when we love our wives, husbands, we will take the time to know what fills her. And then we do those things, not under compulsion, but voluntarily. 
When we seek to meet our wife's spiritual and physical needs, we love her as Christ loved the church. We love her like we love ourselves. After all, she is a part of us. Matthew Henry said on the woman coming from man, women were created from the rib of man to be beside him, not from his head to be on top of him, not from his feet to be trampled by him, but under his arm to be protected by him, near his heart to be loved by him. As we love like we love ourselves, we fulfill the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. After all, husbands, who is your dearest neighbor? Men and women, what should be said about us if we work harder on the second command outside of our house than we do inside? What is to be said about you as a husband or a wife if you work harder to fulfill the second great command outside of your house more than you do inside? If we work harder to treat other people as ourselves more so than we do our wives and even our own children? In a verse loosely based on this, the Bible calls that person worse than an unbeliever. Husbands, wash your water, your wife in the water of the word. Love her as your own body and lead her well. Lead her well. Look at verse 25 of Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Man, I don't know another way to lead well, another way that will make your wife long to follow you than for you to lead her like Christ leads her and loves her and leads the church. It is a command given to Paul from the Lord, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's all good to say, but what does it mean exactly? I, have, I think there's three distinct little things under that that you need to know that loving Christ, leading well, loving Christ, loving your wife like Christ loves the church, how that's defined. Number one, it's selflessly. He loves selflessly. From the washing of the disciples' feet to the miracles, to the unwillingness to defend his innocence to the cross. Jesus was a selfless Savior. In order to model Christ-like leadership, we should also be selfish. Men, this means laying down income. This means laying down comforts. It means laying down Saturdays or late nights or preferences or remotes or phones or a number of things that cause us to be distracted from leading our wife and leading our family well. Men, and I mean this with all my heart, our wife is to be our object of intense interest. Next to Christ, our wife is to be our, our most important and most sought-after object of intense interest. We are to long to know her more. Long to know what satisfies her, what gratifies her more than gratifies ourselves. We communicate. We solve conflict. We pray for, we pray with, we crucify our lust or longings for any other substitute woman. We give up time, we give up money, we give up our pride, we romance her. We don't focus so much on our time lost with friends as our time that we are spending building our home. We don't wish to be someone else, somewhere else when we are with her, but we wish to be nowhere else without her. We would do anything, want anything, and give anything, including our life, which leads to the second 
way we lead well, and that's sacrificially. We are to lead sacrificially. We are to be willing to give up our life, but even our desires. One of the greatest problems in marriage and relationships today is that is of the perpetual adolescence of the husband. The perpetual adolescence of the husband is one of our greatest problems in marriage today. We're more interested in our shows and in games, more interested in having a roommate than a spiritual partner and a helpmate. Men are growing up at an astonishing slow rate these days, and marriage is paying. Boys, let me tell you something. Keep your games and keep your hobbies and keep your bros and keep your weekends. Just don't get married because men get married. And when men get married, they stop thinking like boys and they put away childish things and they start living like men. This doesn't mean they won't have remnants of those things in their life. It doesn't mean they won't enjoy things that they enjoyed as a younger dude. Or it doesn't mean that those things are inherently bad. But men support their families. They lead their families. They give up things that they could rightfully be doing as a single man because they are not single, because they are a husband and they are called by God to do so. You know, I take this as a challenge, men, to lead my family sacrificially because if I do, there will be no place for anybody else to do the same. There will never be a place for another man or woman or pastor or friend to step in. Men, you know what should convict you today? There are often times where I lead your wife better than you do. And I'm not saying that to brag on me. I'm saying it because we haven't established our houses in a way that the first person our wife goes to for spiritual advice is us instead of a pastor or instead of a friend or anyone else. Men, if you establish your spiritual house, your wife won't always have to quote your pastor. Your wife, it's not that it's a bad thing. I, I hope that you all look for me as spiritual, for spiritual guidance. But I will tell you, if, if, for some, if, for some, if at some time I ever left this church and I was just a part of the congregation as opposed to the leader of the congregation, I will tell you, I will live in a way that my wife will not have to depend on her pastor for spiritual growth and maturity. I will be an example so that she is motivated and driven to not only be washed by me, but wash herself in the water of the Word. Take it as a challenge. Take it as a challenge to never let anybody else step in and lead your family as a surrogate. I'm living my life right now, friends, and I hope that by the grace of God I will always do this to where there's not another man in this room or another man in this world that will supplant me as the leader of my household while I'm still living on this earth. If I sacrifice all that I am for my family, for my wife, my wife will look at me and she'll say, he's done it, so can I. Men, lead like Christ, selflessly, sacrificially, and humbly. Men, it isn't cool to ride in a minivan or to change diapers or to walk around with spit up on your clothes. It isn't cool to purchase feminine products or sport the dad bod. Trust me, I know. Or to order for 20 at a fast food restaurant. But you know what? What is cool is always, it isn't always right. And what's right isn't always cool. And humbling yourself for the sake of your wife and for the sake of your family is better than cool.
we should be humble. The affection of our wife and the love of our family should be exponentially more important than the views of those outside our walls. Now quickly, men, I want to show you how this can be seen in your lives. Men, we communicate with our wives as opposed to bottling it up. We don't get the luxury of getting off work and just shutting down. Our wives need something more than toddlers, a toddler to speak with. We work to resolve conflict. We discuss our feelings. We don't bottle those things up. We approach our wife with tenderness, with compassion, with love, and with romanticism. We, approach, uh, we, we should re-own the relationship of authority that God has given us. Be a person worthy of following. Kill lust. Kill lust. Reject adultery and divorce. Reject promiscuity in all its forms. Delight in our wife and our family. And you must ask yourself today, men, if you're single or if you're married, and this doesn't sound like a banner you want to take up, you must ask yourself why. What keeps me from leading my family? What prevents me from taking on this role as a spiritual head of my household? And you challenge ourselves to do so, all while praying that God gives us the desire to lead. Now, I told you that this was a, uh, if you're a visitor here, I'm sorry, uh, this is going to be a little, a little bit, you got a little bit longer here in the sermon. I told you this was going to be a 1.5 uh, sermon, you know, so not two, but maybe 1.5. But I want to move to the second point, and that's wives. Wives. How do we recover the roles that God has established in our lives? Wives, 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 wives. Here we go. Just kidding. Wives tend to treat their husband in the way they want to be treated. So wives will love their husbands, which is good. But that's not what the Bible emphasizes. The Bible doesn't say husbands or wives love your husbands. The Bible says, now that's, it does say that in different places, but in Ephesians 5 it doesn't say wives love your, love your husbands. It says wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Wives are to submit to the godly ordained headship of their husband. The most feminine and godly thing a wife can do is submit to her husband. John Piper defined femininity in this way. At the heart of mature femininity is a freeing disposition to affirm, receive, and nurture strength and leadership from worthy men in ways appropriate to a woman's differing relationships. That's in that book on recovering biblical manhood and womanhood if you want to uh, read that. Christian wives are to affirm, receive, and nurture strength from the leadership of deserving men. So how do we do this? Wives, how can you recover the role, the God-ordained roles in your life? How can you do this? The first is you submit humbly. You submit humbly. One of the most difficult things to ask one fallen person to do is to submit to another fallen person. It takes every bit of strength and humility. It's unnatural because of the fall, but especially because of the way that feminism has worked its way into, or I should say for some of you, some types of feminism has worked its way into destroying the family. Feminism prompts a wife to not be humble, 
to not humble herself, but to promote, her, promote herself, to say that she is better than submitting to her husband as the Bible commands. She is better than being a mom or just a homemaker, to make a wife feel unfulfilled unless she is working outside of the home. Feminism not only seeks to make women equal to men, but to make men less than women. That is the ultimate goal. So we say things like toxic masculinity to neuter men, and we erase gender roles. And really the only thing keeping uh, women back from this perceived equality is the curse of childbearing. So we advocate for abortion on demand so nothing will stop a woman from being equal to a man. Submission is obedience to the Lord. It's the most humble thing and countercultural thing a woman can do these days. It infuriates the progressives but honors the King of glory. Ladies, if you want to honor God above all else then you should pursue humble submission to, a hus- to your husband and pray that God gives you the strength and knowledge to do so. A wife should submit humbly. She should submit willingly. Every verse on submission in the Bible either directly or indirectly implies this point. There is a volition in submission. Submission is not done by men compelling a woman, uh, a man compelling a woman, but by a woman being compelled by God. Therefore, it is voluntarily. It is a balance of a man challenging his wife and a wife challenging her husband. Ironing, sharpening iron, iron sharpening iron, and growing in Christ. But ultimately, it is the wife willingly giving up some rights that she had as a single woman, the husband does the same, and the right to her own way of living and future, the right to certain freedoms that come with being single, the right of either male or female to make singular choices. And yes, I think headship means this, that the wife, as long as it is not sin or endangering the family, is to concede to the leadership of her husband in decision-making in the family. I know that's so archaic. I know that's so old school. I know that I'm on the wrong side of history. But I would rather be in the right side of the word than the right side of history, if that's what it means. The wife who submits willingly, she willingly lays down what she knows or thinks, trusting that the husband that the Lord gave her, therefore trusting in the Lord. Christian wives all the time tell me and others they want their husbands to lead. But then they drag him around by the collar and they rub his nose in every mistake that he makes and then they expect him to not act like a beaten dog. This willingness to submit is really trusting the husband that God gave you and therefore trusting God and willingly laying down your desires to lead your family. Submit humbly. Submit willingly. Support your family industriously. I will, tell you, I will tell you that I hold a very unpopular but biblical view, and I will express it now. It is my view from multiple scriptures and their original meaning, and also based on the, how the church responded to the scriptures throughout all of time, that women should be at home raising their children and leading their house. I know it's unpopular. I know some of you are even, uh, some of you might be sneering, and at least the, even the most Christian people in here are cringing a little bit at hearing me say it. They're to be at home raising their children and leading their house. But it doesn't mean that she is only a mom and a wife, and that is it. She is to be industrious. She is to think of ways to promote and support her family. We see the industrious Proverbs 31 woman. She buys a field and takes what she makes to the market. She's industrious. She's with her family. Who do you think's working the fields with her? She's leading her household. 
Titus 2 says that older women should teach younger women to be workers at home. Not just occupied by changing diapers or correcting or teaching, but also being industrious, thinking of ways outside of just being a mom or a, a wife to help the family. Wives should be industrious homemakers, starting their own companies, being productive and innovative. There are thousands of possibilities to find worth in and apart from being a wife and mom. I do take a hard and fast stance on this, but I will concede something to you. Someone who God gave to raise, who got, excuse me, someone that God gave children to need, needs to be the person that raises the child. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you think, well, my husband has a, my, I have a degree and my husband doesn't have a degree. Okay, I will concede to you that maybe the culture allows for you to have your husband be a stay-at-home dad and you work. But I will not concede, I will not concede as a, as a, as a dad having children that there is a better way than someone who God gave those children to to raise those children. And I think that the most biblical way is for the wife to do that. God genetically and at creation gave his wife breast to nourish her children. He gave her patience and kindness and compassion and longing and connection, which as a, as a father of four children, I can tell you, does not naturally exist in me. I look at my wife and the patience she has with my children, and I'm like, I'm glad she's here because I would definitely kill them. My wife has patience and understanding that I have to work for and I still don't have. And I know she works for that too. I know it doesn't come just extremely naturally. But it does come more naturally. But progressive and even conservative ideology has made ladies feel less for taking on the vocation of homemaker. Dorothy Patterson in her essay on the wife and the mother said this, Being a new liberated identity, many women have devoted themselves to ambitious busyness everywhere but in the home. They are enmeshed in overwhelming volunteerism to achieve accolades and, a recon uh, and recognition in the community, and they are surrogate wives and mothers dedicated to hatching professional pursuits that promises power and pocketbook. Instead of encouraging adolescents to cut the apron strings of mother and venture out into society, we are begging mothers not to cut the apron strings on their babies and catapult them prematurely into a menacing world. Mom and hot apple pie has been replaced by institutional daycare centers and cold apple McDonald's turnovers. Friends, can I tell you there is no greater calling for a person than to be a Christian. But next to that, there is no greater calling for a wife to be a wife and a mother as the Lord wills. You can save lives, you can write books, you can teach thousands, but if you lose your children and you lose your husband, what have you gained? I mentioned some statistics on how important the father is earlier, but the truth is, and it's supported by the Bible and it's supported by hard statistics, the biblical wife is just as valuable to the family. It is proven that men who marry live longer. They are less inclined to die from stupidity. Men who are single die from stupidity. I'm not joking. They are more likely to get killed in fights. They are more likely to get killed by jumping off cliffs or jumping off buildings or balancing for YouTube. Balancing on the top of a skyscraper for YouTube. Men who don't get married die 
more quickly. We need the wives for sanctification. We need wives for maturity. And by my calculation, wives, if you are equally helpful in the, in the responsibility of sanctification for your husband, I'm not joking anymore, and if you're equally responsible in the sanctification of your children, you are literally raising the world. Tell me now what occupation is better. Tell me now. If you are responsible for the sanctification and growth of your husband, if you are responsible for the sanctification and growth of your children, tell me how you can make a greater influence on the world. What would it be like to gain the world but lose our family? Men live longer that settle down. They're less promiscuous, less likely to get a sexually transmitted disease. When wives support their husband in a biblical manner, he is more inclined to lead well, more inclined to be at home, to nurture his wife and children. He sees the sacrifice that she is making during the day and is motivated to make some. Friends, I will tell you, nothing motivates me to get off my butt after I've worked a hard day than to see my wife having equally worked a hard day and know that she needs me and we're in this together. It's not her bashing me or telling me that I need to get up. It is her being the woman that she needs to be during the day while I'm being the man that I need to be during the day and together we are the family that we are supposed to be at night. Not always. I'm not perfect. That's not, what, that's not the implication I'm giving. Just ask. Don't ask Anna. But you could ask Anna. He sees the sacrifice he's making and he's motivated to do so himself. This mother's child loves her and he longs for her. They grow up well-mannered, better educated, prepared for the world, but more importantly, deeply spiritual human beings. This mother guards the door of her house with the sword of the Spirit and dresses her children with the armor of God. She is doctor, nurse, teacher, counselor, friend. She is her son's first love, her daughter's best example. She is the husband's greatest jewel. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellency, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. She is like precious jewels to her husband, and he lacks nothing. Her arms are strong. She she is praised for the work of her hands, and then the men at the gates call her husband's blessed. Her husband, excuse me, not polygamy, blessed. I would challenge everyone in here, but ladies, in this moment, I challenge you to seek the approval of God and not the, the approval of this culture, not the approval of men as it concerns your future. Seek the well-being of your husband and your children and not selfish fulfillment prompted by what the world says is good and what the world says is right. Women, be countercultural and change the lives of those around you, but most importantly, the lives of those in your house. And I will ask I will ask you the same thing I ask men. What does it say about you if you work in all of your effort to fulfill the second greatest commandment outside of your house and you fail to do it in your own home? What does it say about you? The last thing is this. 
trusts the Lord. We are fallen, friends. We are fallen. Men, when you get into marriage, when you have children, there is a microscope on you on how fallen you are. Women, the same is true. We are fallen. But we trust in the Lord as it comes to following our husband. Here's the deal. Women, you might be in here today thinking, my husband has not stepped up. He is not worthy of being led yet. What you're saying is, Lord, I don't trust you. I don't trust that this is the man you gave me. I don't trust that this is the way my life should be. I don't trust that this is who I'm supposed to be. We need to trust the Lord. If we can't trust our husbands right now, we can trust the Lord. Trust that the Lord has a better plan for us. Trust that the Lord is renewing us. Trust that the Lord is renewing our husband. And even as the Bible said that the husband and wife, the unbelieving husband and wife, will be redeemed by the believer. It's possible. It happens. We trust the Lord. Wives, if you can't trust your husband, if you're waiting for him to lead still, trust God. God was the one that gave you that man. God was the one that said, okay, this is the imperfect authority that will be put over Anna. It's been hard for Anna to trust me at times. I've not been the husband that I need to be often. Man, I felt, men, I felt so much. But I think the difference between me and some people is that I refuse to believe that I'm a failure. See, I fail because I'm broken and because I'm a sinner, but I refuse to believe that it's over. It's failed. I'm a failure. Because in Christ... I am redeemed. My marriage is redeemed. My wife is redeemed. And God can do anything. Trust the Lord. Friends, if you don't understand why your marriage is on the rocks or why it's going the way it is, it's easier said than done, but trust the Lord. Believe that He will get you to where you need to be, not back to where you were. That's not the goal. The goal is to a better and a new place. The goal is to where the husband is leading the wife humbly, where he's washing her in the water of the word, where the wife is submitting to her husband as Christ, I mean, as, as the church does to Christ, where she's doing it willingly, where she's doing it lovingly, where she's laying down aspirations and dreams and goals in order to honor the God who created her that way. Trust the Lord. Believe in Him. Trust that Christ, who began a good work in us, will do it, will complete it until the day that He returns. And obey Him. God, we love You. We pray that You would lead us to be a biblical example of what a husband looks like and what a, a wife looks like. We pray that we would take on our roles as husband and wife, willingly, humbly, in a God-honoring fashion. Lord, would you teach us always to be more like you so that we can wash ourselves and wash our lives, our family, in the word of God so that all of, all of them can be more like him. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for the day, this day. We thank you for your son who saves us, who redeems us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who is our help in living the way you want us to live. Pray and ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.